conventional natural gas is from fossils itself, uh, layers of organic material that have compounded over time, which have created natural gas or methane pockets found below Earth's surface. But then when you look at biomethane or renewable natural gas, that is much different in the sense that it has almost no trace of carbon to it. When you have a landfill uh, that's comprised of both inorganic and organic materials, when they cap a landfill or when they cover the face, what ends up happening is the organic materials found in the landfill actually start to break down in the absence of oxygen. So you have an anaerobic environment that's created to where then what does it emit? Methane, that if you don't capture it, that methane is released into the atmosphere and it's an Multiple landfill operators across the United States are doing that today. They're capturing that methane to where then they're basically producing pipeline quality gas that is a, is a direct replacement for conventional natural gas. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vedya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you businesses that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Grant Gibson, co-founder and chief development officer of Synthica Energy. He joins us from Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Grant. Thanks, Vidya. Thanks for having me. In North America, we are accustomed to the convenience of natural gas in our everyday life, right? May it be how we heat our homes or cook our meals. The impact of natural gas on our environment is on multiple levels. Let's just start with its extraction. How do we get natural gas? That's a good one. So how do we start with natural gas? I mean, there's multiple ways to get it. Obviously, it's a form of a fossil fuel that comes from whether it's direct drilling into the ground or hydraulic fracturing. It can be captured even during the, the drilling for crude oil as well. So there's a multitude of different ways. Of course, you have a high impact on the earth when you are exploring and, and extracting natural gas, very different than renewable natural gas. Talking about natural gas, there are various ways the natural gas can be extracted and its impact varies based on the way it's extracted. Also, after its extraction, it needs processing. It's, it doesn't just get extracted from the earth and come into our pipelines. What are the processes, if you know? I actually do know quite a bit about natural gas, primarily one, because we, when we have customers that ask us about the differences between conventional natural gas and then renewable natural gas, we get asked that a lot. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, a multitude of things or processes that happen when you extract a raw natural gas out of the ground. You end up with a, call it a, a pretty dirty gas. So when it comes out of the ground, comes with liquids, those liquids are stripped off. Uh, they become natural gas liquids, NGLs. And then from there, the gas itself goes through a cleanup process or an upgrading process to where it is then purified, call it uh, moisture is reduced, hydrogen sulfide and other uh, impurities are extracted from it. And then from there, uh, it's injected into a pipeline or a, a distribution system that then is sent out to market. 
And now many states like New York, where we are located, have bans or rather, you know, weaning off natural gas. So I believe like in 2030 in New York state, if you want a pipeline connected to your new home, you would probably have to pay thousands of dollars. I'm not sure whether it will actually happen, but those are the things that are floating around. Yeah, I mean, there's different examples you can look at. For example, one being in the state of New York, actually, that if uh, there are some renewable energy uh, requirements coming to where if your building is using uh, a fossil fuel to heat for heating purposes, if it's of a certain square footage, that there are going to be certain types of, uh, call it penalties that'll be paid to different regulatory entities if you don't, one, improve the efficiency or to use a consume uh, for heating or, or uh, process needs if you don't switch over to a renewable energy source. So there's a number of states that have those types of initiatives where they'll go into effect in the upcoming years or uh, legislation that's pending that's being worked on as we speak. When we talk about renewable natural gas, what are the different alternatives? First, let's go to renewable energy. So renewable energy would be electricity, solar, geothermal. There's a, a number of sources of renewable energy, and you talked about a few of them. One, ge geothermal, using the, the heating and cooling patterns found with below the Earth's surface. Then you also have, of course, solar, and then you also have wind. You have other types of renewable energy that are out there as well. Another one that we're, we're talking a little bit about today is, is renewable natural gas, which is a source of, of basically biomethane that is, uh, can be produced from a number of sources. Landfills produce renewable natural gas, as well as on-farm dairy digestion systems. And then again, the one that we focus being Centica Energy focuses on being renewable natural gas or biomethane produced from industrial waste or industrial byproducts that are organic in nature, meaning that they're of natural chemistry. Natural gas is mostly comprises of methane, right? Correct. Yes. So that's the major component of uh, natural gas. So you can get natural gases in a renewable form from the land or other sources that you mentioned, right? Yeah, exactly. And when you think about it, conventional natural gas is from fossils itself, uh, layers of organic material that have compounded over time, which have created natural gas or methane pockets found below the Earth's surface. But then when you look at biomethane or renewable natural gas, that is much different in the sense that it has almost no trace of carbon to it. So the amount of carbon that is in renewable natural gas just has very small traces of carbon, where where you have conventional or fossil natural gas, uh, where there's high volumes of carbon that's emitted when you burn it. So with the difference, again, with biomethane or renewable natural gas, when you burn renewable natural gas, there's only trace amounts of carbon in it, which equates to very trace amounts of, of carbon emissions uh, when you burn the renewable natural gas. And you talked about landfills. You know, there are landfills around our country which are burning continuously. Like I'm from Bombay and there is a big landfill there, which has been burning for, you know, a decade or so, or maybe more. So that is what you are trying to capture. 
Yeah, a little different in the sense of burning, meaning when you have a landfill uh, that's comprised of both inorganic and organic materials, you have what's happening when they cap a landfill or when they cover the face, what ends up happening is the organic materials found in the landfill actually start to break down in the absence of oxygen. So you have an anaerobic environment that's created to where then what does it emit? Methane and CO2 and a whole bunch of other types of smaller other uh, trace gases, but um, primarily what it does emit that if you don't capture it, if you're a landfill operator and you're not capturing it, that methane is released into the atmosphere. And of course, methane is a greenhouse gas and as well as CO2. And so in the methane, the strength of that methane is much higher than other forms of greenhouse gases. But Again, you have inside of a landfill that organic material that breaks down in an anaerobic condition, so which is the absence of oxygen, which then produces that methane. Um, multiple landfill operators across the United States are doing that today. They're capturing that methane that's produced by the landfill. They're capturing it very similar to what I talked about before. When you extract fossil natural gas from the ground, you have impurities to that gas. And so landfill operators have, they work with partners or they do it themselves where they're filtering out the contaminants, um, reduce, changing the moisture levels or reducing the moisture levels to where then they're basically producing pipeline quality gas that is a, is a direct replacement for conventional natural gas. So RNG being produced from a, a landfill, which is a direct replacement for conventional natural gas. The methane that you get from a landfill, is it comparable in quality, purity as the ones that you get from as a byproduct of the petroleum uh, manufacturing um, extraction? It actually is a direct replacement, so it does have the same purity qualities, and then it also has the same heating value. So you still have, if you took one unit of natural gas, fossil natural gas, and you compared that to one unit of renewable natural gas, whether it's from a landfill, from a digester, wherever it may be that that RNG is produced, that RNG is of the same quality and heat value as your conventional natural gas as well. Does this methane need to be processed to make it pipeline quality? It does. Touched on it a little bit earlier, when they, what's considered raw biomethane, what it is produced either by an anaerobic digester, like what Synthica Energy does, or if it comes from a landfill, you have that what's considered raw biomethane. And once it goes through that upgrade process, then from there, through that upgrade process, you reduce moisture down to certain moisture levels, That whether it's a utility or a pipeline company that says, here's the specification you must hit in order to be able to inject it. So not only moisture, other contaminants like hydrogen sulfide, CO2, oxygen, you name it, all of that is brought down to a certain acceptable level set by the utility or the pipeline company. And then from there, compressed or pressurized to the uh, compressed to the right uh, uh, PSI or the right pressure uh, that the utility or the pipeline requires. So what other raw materials, I'm calling it encodes, can be used to produce RNG? Like now we talked about landfill, do we have like animal waste possibly? 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at the other ways of producing renewable natural gas, there's two different ones. One is animal waste from farms. So whether it's a dairy that have cattle, capturing the manure, and then running that through anaerobic digestion and producing renewable natural gas. Or you have what uh, Synthica Energy focuses on is industrial byproducts or waste from food and beverage manufacturing, oleochemical manufacturing, any type of manufacturer that produces a a byproduct that is organic in nature, so natural chemistry, where that byproduct can be used as a feedstock in the anaerobic digestion process, where then that last step of anaerobic digestion is where the methanogens take over and off they break down the acetic acids and produce renewable or biomethane, which then is upgraded like we talked about before, into a renewable natural gas. So when you talk about anaerobic are you putting some bacteria in there or it is exists in the the organic matters that you use? When you build an anaerobic digestion facility, um, it's like starting with an empty stomach, like a completely empty, dry stomach. And so you do have to seed it with basically a, a sludge from another digester. And so you seed it with a sludge from another digester, and then you start to ramp up the feedstocks over time, say over a 90-day to 180-day period, to where you slowly start to feed it. And then those the microbe colonies, they multiply. So they, they breed, they eat, they breed, they die off, and that, that cycle just continues over and over and over as long as you keep a, call it a healthy anaerobic environment. It's like our sourdough once you have the starter. and That's a, a great way to look at it for sure. So now you have your raw materials, um, you have the components in, you're producing this renewable natural gas. Who is your customer? As Synthica Energy, we focus primarily on what we consider voluntary offtake. So it's really more around the companies or even the manufacturers that say, hey, I know that I don't have a federal requirement to go buy or procure renewable natural gas um, because it is at a premium when you compare cost of renewable natural gas to conventional natural gas. It is at a premium. How much? So if you say that today natural gas trades on, on the commodity market for $3 a unit or MMBTU, where uh, all-in cost for renewable natural gas is about 23 to $25 per unit or per MMBTU. So it's almost a factor or multiple of 10, but it is the by far the quickest and fastest way to reduce, reduce emissions. When it comes to scope one, two, three missions, it is by far the quickest way to reduce emissions because, again, you take conventional natural gas, and if you're burning that as a manufacturer to produce whatever product, if you take that and replace it with renewable natural gas, your emissions are drastically reduced because if you remember what we talked about earlier was the fact that there are trace amounts of carbon in renewable natural gas versus Conventional, there's a tremendous amount of carbon that's emitted when you burn conventional natural gas. So we focus on that, what we call that voluntary offtake to where it's companies that are willing to pay that premium, that are willing to do that, and more of that what I call early adopters. I mean, we know about all the companies that are out there that say, oh, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030 or 2040 or whatever the year that they're putting their flag in the sand. They're lofty goals. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are still standing around kind of scratching their heads saying, well, we want to do this, but how do we get there? 
it's a blend of all of the above, meaning it is solar, it is wind, and it is renewable natural gas. It's not just one magic kind of trick that's going to allow companies to become carbon neutral overnight. It is going to be a blend of all the different sources of renewable energy that are available on the marketplace. So on a personal level, we are in the process of building a net zero home. And everybody said, when I say that, the first thing the person whom I'm talking to will say, oh, do you have solar? I'm like, no, that's kind of the last frontier in this whole net zero home. We don't have natural gas, actually. It's all electric. And then we have um, geothermal and then the solar. But we do have a natural gas pipe coming to our house, which is capped off. Because we think in future, a company like yours may be able to pipe renewable natural gas into homes that already have the pipelines and cannot switch to electricity easily and affordably. And homes like ours who would like um, natural gas mainly for my cooking, you know. (laughs) So when you talk about solutions, they have to be multi-pronged. They cannot be in single, just one or the other. It has to be all compassing. But would it be possible, like, say you go to Coca-Cola and tell them, hey, you're giving me all your organic matter. Can they just reuse that energy back? Like, say you set up a plant just on their site, right? That's a great question from a standpoint of what we call co-location to where it can work on paper once you really start to get into the details, call it not only logistical details, but also when you look at the call it the biochemistry of a digester. It's very much like if I said, okay, hey, Vidya, I want you to only sit down at this table and only drink sugar water for the next 10 years. You think that you're basically your stomach could handle that? Probably not. So when you look at the biochemistry, it is all about having a balanced diet. Some co-located facilities like that work okay, but for us as a company, Synthica Energy, we look at more of a very balanced diet when it comes to a variety of waste streams that we use in the anaerobic digestion process. So you're saying the input should be more than just one. So you may take something from the landfill, something from, you know, food waste and something. Yeah, exactly. One waste stream from like a Coca-Cola, maybe one from a Tyson, one from a Nestle, one from so on and so forth. And so you have this balanced diet of waste streams coming into the process. And because it is really about having a balanced diet of fats, sugars, proteins, carbohydrates, all the above. Is there any energy used in this process? What is the amount of energy that is used in this process? We do use a little bit of electricity to run, call it the lights, call it the electrical pumps and the blowers that aerate and provide compression. So we do use some electricity. We do use some natural gas for heating needs because, as you can imagine, we do have to heat the tanks to keep the microbial, the colonies, to keep a healthy environment. We do use some exact numbers. Couldn't tell you off the top of my head as far as I'd have to look through my all the details that we have. But when you look at the amount of output, it far outweighs any, call it electric or natural gas consumption, the amount that we consume versus what we produce. If we were even close to being even, meaning the amount of energy we consume versus what we output, it wouldn't be worth it from an economic perspective. And, you know, going on further, maybe there'll be more efficiencies, which will bring your costs down. You know, when you scale, when any new product is more expensive because 
to get all the raw materials, to get buy-in to. So going on forward would probably reduce more the cost and become more affordable too. How many locations do you have? Yeah, so we've got our first one under construction in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then we've got, we're working on facilities in Atlanta, Georgia, just north of Atlanta and Rome, Georgia, Lebanon Junction, Kentucky, which is about 30 minutes south of Louisville, Houston, Texas, San Antonio, Texas, and then 30 minutes west of New Orleans, which is Norco, Louisiana. You have this facility which is making renewable natural gas. So you would have to have pipelines or can you connect to the existing natural gas pipelines and like maybe do a blend initially and then later have it just renewable natural gas? Yeah, so we're actually able to connect to the pipeline company or the utilities distribution system as long as we hit the specification of purity when it comes to the RNG or the renewable natural gas that we produce. So we don't necessarily have to have pipes connecting all of our facilities. We're just able to connect directly and inject because it is a a one-for-one replacement when it comes to RNG versus conventional natural gas. That's amazing. So you have... um... I'm kind of getting excited because it's sustainable in so many ways. It is sustainable in the how it's extracted, the use of um, waste, and you don't have to invest in distribution systems. You know, which is I was thinking, if you needed special pipeline, for instance, hydrogen, you cannot use at this stage. Pure hydrogen cannot be used in the existing pipeline. So this is amazing that you can you're able to slide right in. Absolutely, we can. So when will you start distributing from your Cincinnati factory? Yeah, so we'll uh, start to commission our Cincinnati digester about a year from now to where, like we talked a little bit about it earlier around starting with an empty stomach. So we'll be commissioning and ramping up from there and then start producing uh, the RNG within probably within... 180 days of commissioning to be safe to where we're producing, call it full-scale gas. And you are primarily focusing on industrial clients. Correct. Yes. So one of the problems with natural gas is the leakage, which is in the system, the pipes, where they meet, where they connect. So in your case, that leakage still will occur or is there something that you've done so that those leakages will be prevented? Yeah, I mean, that really all comes down to uh, the operator of the, either the pipeline or the, the local distribution system that's owned by the utility. Will we have gas monitoring on site to make sure that if there is any leakage, that we will have sensors to detect for that. But really, any of the gas that we produce is under such low pressure as we're producing it. We're not overly concerned about any type of leakage at all. And the same leakage question now in a residential context, when possibly renewable natural gas can come into our homes. The natural gas, one of the the disadvantages of natural gas is that its impact on your health. So like when you switch on your cooktop, there's like this five seconds of gas coming out and even the flame, there are some harmful effects of um, the conventional natural gas. So how does renewable natural gas, RNG, compare to that? 
Oh, that's a tough one for me. Really not sure how to answer that one because we've never really thought about that piece of it or considered that because most of when you look at any of our sites across the U.S., we do focus on heavy industrial zoned areas or regions of a market. And so if you look at San Antonio or Houston or Rome, Georgia, or any of them or Cincinnati in areas that have a strong have industrial presence. And so any of the gas that we're injecting into, whether it's the pipeline or local utility system, more than likely that gas is going to be consumed by an industrial user that's nearby. Again, to your question, really haven't thought about that piece of it. But again, we locate in heavy industrial areas to where all of our gas is going to be consumed by one or a, or a multiple number of, of industrial users. And you've, when did Synthica start? Yeah, so Synthica started in 2017 by myself and my partner, Sam Schutte. We've known each other for a very long time, and we've worked on different businesses together in the past and got together and really said, hey, we want to build something that's uh, pretty cool and something that we really are passionate about it, and Synthica was born. In terms of investments, I read that you recently got a big investment from... Goldman Sachs, yes. Yes, so talk about that. So the Goldman Sachs investment allows us to really grow and scale not only the company in terms of hiring in new staff, additional staff to grow in all the different markets, but then also the ability to build these facilities in every one of the markets. It's been fantastic. The folks at Goldman Sachs are really just world-class when it comes to just, they're educated in the marketplace when it comes to renewable natural gas, anaerobic digestion, also really good problem solvers because that was something that uh, with Sam and I, my partner, I mean, that was something that we did day in and day out was we're breaking a lot of new trail. There's not really any other company in the marketplace that you look at that says, yeah, they're doing exactly what Synthica is doing. And so when you bring Goldman Sachs to the table, sure, it adds a tremendous amount of credibility. When you go to a company like a Coca-Cola or a Tyson, they say, well, tell me how you're going to be around in two years. Oh, well, we're financially backed by Goldman Sachs. Okay, check that box, move on. So really when it comes down to problem solving, I mean, it's been unreal because they really are tremendous problem solvers. And when we all come together and we can't figure out a solution, we'll say, all right, who's an expert in this field? Let's bring them in across the board. It's been a fantastic relationship and we're really looking forward to the future here. So how much are you able to disclose their level of investment? The level of investment is enough to build uh, and scale the company across the number of markets that I talked about. So we're looking at, we're going to be building in five different markets and we've got a very healthy pipeline behind that. Unfortunately, I can't disclose exactly how much money, but again, when you think about how much each facility costs and the, the growth and the scale that we're projecting to have over the next couple of years, it's, it's substantial. How much do you think do the pressures of ESG are making companies like Goldman Sachs invest in companies like you? So about 10 years ago, when they were protesting and they were talking about divesting mm -hmm. and most of the, the investment companies or the trusts, they thought they couldn't survive or they could not divest from fossil fuel. But I think now the message is loud and clear that we have to be environmentally conscious even in our investments. So how much of that do you think played into Goldman Sachs' investment in Syndica? 
That's a really, really good question because when you look at the individuals that are part of their infrastructure fund that we work with directly day in and day out, they're very passionate about it. But second to that, they're also very cognizant of making sure that we don't greenwash and that we don't put metrics out that are like just fluff. They're very, very cognizant of that. And I'm very respectful of that because I've learned not only myself, but my partner and other folks that work at Synthica, we've learned over time that ESG is important to some companies and others, it is just marketing, unfortunately. When I say the ones that are that it is just marketing, they're trying to get there. I think a lot of it is, okay, let's put the marketing out there and, and make people think we're headed that way. But in reality, when you were to open a, a room full of folks at that company that are trying and they don't have any clue how to get there. I think it's a blend when we look at the customers that we work with, uh, the ones that are working hard to get there and other ones that are trying and do a lot of marketing and make people think that they're doing a lot. But when you look at Goldman Sachs in general, I mean, the folks that we work with, uh, it's part of the, an infrastructure fund. That is their goal is to invest in infrastructure and to build the infrastructure within the U.S. Because, I mean, without the Goldman Sachs investment, Synthica Energy wouldn't be able to scale and build out the infrastructure in all these different markets if it wasn't for them. So to your point about did that influence our decision? Absolutely, it did. Do you own all these facilities or is it a franchise model? Is it a turnkey project model? What is your business model? The business model behind it is we do charge for the waste coming in the door. So we make revenue, generate revenue there. And then we also generate revenue on the renewable natural gas that we produce. But we do design, build, own, operate from start to finish because we do want to own the asset and hold on to it. Talk about convenient sustainability. What is that? I hadn't come across that term. Convenient sustainability. I mean, when you think about it, if you go to a, a manufacturer, let's say a food manufacturer, when you talk to a manufacturer that says, look, I got a problem and I need it to go away now, they're looking for the most convenient way to make that problem go away. But unfortunately, a lot of the infrastructure is not in place today from a standpoint of sustainable outlets like Synthica Energy. And so when you look at the global view of call it organic waste, whether it's food byproducts from manufacturing or whatever that may be from an industrial perspective. When you look at that, a lot of manufacturers are stuck with just sending it where they can for now. And it's painful to where if you look at where we're locating in these various markets, we are becoming convenient because we are locating in heavy industrial areas to where then a manufacturer that's a quarter mile down the road can say, that's convenient. It makes sense. It's a no-brainer. Like, yes, we're going to send you our waste because you're a half mile down the road or a quarter. If you look at our facility in Cincinnati, I mean, we've got approximately 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of all of our feedstock within about a mile of that facility. And when you talk to those manufacturers that are producing the waste streams that they produce or the byproducts, you talk to them and they're like, yeah, I ship it six, seven, eight, ten hours away because I'm zero landfill, I'm this, I'm that, or I don't have a good home for this waste. But now with Synthica building and being a half mile away, it's totally convenient. And now I can truly say that we're sustainable. That is amazing. And wishing you and the whole Synthica team all the best on this amazing and creative solution. Thank you so much for coming on Mindful Businesses. Uh, Grant, wishing you all the best to you and everybody on the Synthica team. Yeah, thanks, Vidya. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, good luck to yourself as well. 
Thank you so much. You're listening to Mindful Businesses, produced and hosted by Vidya Iyer. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Click on the subscribe button to be the first to learn about our latest episodes. We recorded this podcast in Buffalo, New York. The music was composed by Tatum Gale. Roseanne Korean is our marketing assistant. Kevin Karat is our podcast editor. Our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pastricha. This is Vedya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.